Hello, I'm Julie. And this is a Good Stories Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is, yeah, I love this reality. (laughs) Science fiction and religion reality. Yeah. That's good stuff. Commenting on, specifically, on Christianity. Yes. Which is an old tradition for science fiction. It sure is, yeah. Mm-hmm. It absolutely is. So we'll, um, the classic story, The Star by Arthur C. Clarke, we'll talk about. And also, Joyful and Triumphant, St. Zenobius and the Aliens by Joe Walton. Yes. So <laughs> these are my choices for our Christmas reading, and which I love seem it. unlikely. But um, they both comment on a reality from different points of view. And I would like to use Joe Walton to point out a few things about the great Arthur C. Clarke and his uh, conceptions. And so one thing I want to say is that if you have not read these stories, they are insanely short. I knew St. Zenobius was short, but I didn't realize the star was as short as it is. He's making his point and he's getting out. And um, it's such an influential story that when you pointed out that people kind of take reality from this story and form opinions of God because of it, I yeah. was so, and you did, you pointed this out years ago. Right. And, and, and I pointed I, it out because of a discussion I had with an atheist. Um, okay. It was online. And he said, um, the star proves atheism. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> what? Like, you know, these events are fiction. You know, he made it up. <laughs> So, yeah. yeah. What did he say to that? Um, he didn't say much. He was just, yeah. you know, there wasn't much to say, you know. But, but just the fact that that was in his head, um, you know, it wasn't a long discussion. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. remember it going on after that. It was just, you know, and, and it's an interesting thing, you know. So, so, me, you know, in my personal history, you know, when I was 13, I fell away. And then I returned to the church. And I think, you know, when I look back on the star by R.C. Clark, this is, for a very long time, I, I point at it as being my favorite science fiction story mm. ever since I was little. And I think that um, when, I, when I look at it, it's got all of the things that I'm interested in, right? It's got some hard science and it's got a Jesuit in there, or a, a Catholic, right? A, a recognizable... It's right. probably the first story that I read that had a Catholic in it that I would recognize as a Catholic. Right. And he was struggling with his faith in this story. But, um, but just the fact that, okay, here we are a thousand years in the future and Catholics exist just fine. He's even put a little cross on his wall above his Mark IV computer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? So it's like, okay, well, there the church is thriving a thousand years in the future. And um, to me, that's a very positive thing. And then um, as far as, you know, the message of the story and, and, uh, and that, um, I don't think that that's unlike a lot of the things that happen today, um, you know, where there's but we'll get more into that. But the yeah, let's let's yeah, wait. Yeah, and then um, I think that the other thing that I found really interesting in this is, that, and it mirrors my life from then all the way up till now, is his interaction with other people on the ship, <clears throat> and how did he put it? Um, he said, uh, 
So of his crewmates, he said, you know, few of them have any religious faith, yet they will not relish uh, using this final weapon in their campaign against me. Um, That private, good-natured, but fundamentally serious war, which lasted all the way from Earth. Right? So Uh I I love that. The private, good-natured, but fundamentally serious, and I would say discussion, uh, Uh could be a war. And I am engaged in that permanently... um, since I was probably 13 all the way till today, you know, and, and today most of the people that I have discussions with are coming from a different faith, you know, the Mormon faith. Oh, right. Um, and, um, to call it, you know, a private good natured, but fundamentally serious discussion is constant, but I just love the way that he put that. Yeah. Well, and he's, Mm -hmm. because he's a good writer. And so, Mm -hmm. um, that's interesting that it's so fundamental to you because not having any of that background that you have, mm-hmm. it's a story I always remembered. I mean, there's a reason it's one of the, maybe I'm wrong to say the two most famous science fiction stories, the other being um, the Isaac Asimov story. Nightfall. Isn't it Isaac Asimov, Nightfall? Yeah, Nightfall, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also, bur- that's also a kind of a religious story, isn't it? Right. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely mm-hmm. that way. But um, it's a commentary on religion and uh, knowledge. And, uh, but anyway, so this, just reading science fiction stories and everything as I was growing up, I came across it, always remembered it. And when you said that years ago, whenever you mm-hmm. said that about this is people think it's real and they base their beliefs on it, I was dumbfounded because I realized I had done the same thing, Mm. not based my beliefs on it. I think it influenced me for a while just in terms of, yeah, that dumb God, why would he? Um, But also the idea that it wasn't true. And you're like, but it's a work of fiction. And I went, oh, my gosh, I don't know why I felt it wasn't a piece of fiction. I know it's a piece of fiction, but when you read that story, it sinks in as if it really happened. Mm. Somehow he managed to write it so convincingly. Yeah. And it hits, mm. I think, a fundamental question that um, we will talk about. Okay. That people have about God. And that's why people remember it and um, embrace it in a way. So, anyway, so there's that. And then much more recent in the Joe Walton short story collection, Starlings. <laughs> Yay. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I read the her story, you know, Joyful and Triumphant, St. Zenobius and the Aliens, and I was like, this to me answers every objection that Arthur C. Clarke raises. <laughs> because Joe Walton, and I don't know about her faith, but she understands the Christian point of view from the inside out. Yeah, that's great. And that's what he doesn't. He's an outsider poking at something who will not ask questions, but puts forward his opinion like a big brick wall. (laughs) And um, here's what's happening inside the brick wall. I mean, Mm -hmm. so that's that's why I picked these two stories. Wonderful. I I feel like they're, I don't know if she wrote it as an answer story, but I see it that way. Yeah, she definitely has a deep understanding. It's it's a story that... um... You know, when we talk about saints around All Saints Day, like in classes and stuff, it would be cool to just pull the story out and read it. Yeah. <laughs> because it's 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 great. Um, I just think it's great. So, okay, shall mm-hmm. we yeah, please. briefly right. talk about So the Star, 
which many people may have read. And we're going to put links to uh, Arthur C. Clarke on YouTube reading it, and then mm-hmm. also a print version. Yep. And then um, I already on the blog put a separate post that has the link to the St. Zenobia story, but we'll include that in this post also. That's great. So it's easy to find. And then, so um, basically the story, the star is told by a Jesuit priest who's an archaeologist. He has been on a historical uh, or, you know, scientific mission to a place that had a huge supernova, but it was long enough ago that they can go through and see the layers that the supernova left, but it won't harm them. And uh, I didn't remember any of this as this part of it. And as I was reading it, I was so impressed by the fact that it's it's so scientifically based as Arthur C. Clarke was, because I was thinking, well, there couldn't even be a planet left. And he's like, mm-hmm. and all the planets were melted except for this one, which <laughs> must have been Pluto distance away. Yeah. Because yeah. it it made it. And they get there, what they find is the evidence of a beautiful civilization that was thriving and had all the evidence of the arts and a wonderful life, and the people were kind of humanoid, and so you could really relate to them as they're kind of like us. And then they knew the supernova was going to happen, and they couldn't get away. They could go do space travel, but not far enough away to escape it. So they left a big vault with all their stuff in it for someone to discover someday. And um, when he figures out the timing of it, he goes, why, why did this whole civilization have to die so that the star could be seen at Bethlehem? And this is what's causing him to go, is my faith even real? And I'm like, well, okay, first of all, by saying that timing happened like that, your faith, it, it happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're now saying it's historical. Right. But, right. Um, but you know, clearly this is how can you love a God who would sacrifice a whole people for um, the birth of Christ? Yeah. Doesn't that seem opposite to what a loving God would do? Sure. And it's just a, a bigger ask, I think, of the exact question, you know, why why are there hurricanes or why why do people yes. get hurt in tornadoes? You know, it's this basic problem of evil, I guess. Um, That's what I was thinking, yeah. the, mm-hmm. the problem of evil, which is the biggest objection usually, I think, to a question of faith. I think so too, yeah. The problem of pain, maybe mm-hmm. we would say. Yeah, the problem of pain probably is a good way to put it. You know, what? how can these things exist together? How can an omnipotent God, an all-powerful God, exist with this pain? Why can't he just solve it and uh, we don't have that? Yeah, who says that he loves us? Well, and, and in the story, very early on, the archaeologist or the Jesuit priest is saying that he is always in conversation with the main atheist. Mm-hmm. Who's a on the doctor, ship. the doctor, yeah. Yeah. The medical doctor, that is, yeah. Right, and he, they'd be looking at the stars and everything, and he'd say, well, Father, he would say at last, it goes on forever and forever, and perhaps something made it. But how can you believe that something has a special interest in us and our miserable little world? Hmm. That just beats me. And then they'd keep on arguing. And I thought, well, that's also, that's a second question, right? Mm-hmm. The second question is, we're so miserable and small and nothing. We're just like ants. Why right. would God yeah. even care about us? And I'm like, 
I've always hated that point of view. Why are we nothing? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. Why, um, why if we think we're why is it bad to think we're special in terms of God loves us being, yeah. you know. It's funny, you know, in, in our last podcast we were talking about um, Star Trek and um, mm-hmm. another doctor, Dr. McCoy, is the one who said, out of all the vast universe, there's still only one of each of us. Um, yeah. You know, there, there's a doctor for you. Um, (laughs) but you know, I, I think that that's great. Um, and, and that's like the opposite thing being presented. It's hard. It's hard to argue with the point that, um, it's really a nihilism or a, um, just a hopelessness to, to not see yourself as unique and individual and, um, is something that I can't quite wrap my head around. You know, uh, does his doctor just think that he's just one of billions and uh, there's just nothing about him that is even different or unique? Um, I, I can't subscribe to that point of view because it's clearly and obviously an incorrect point of view. And also to think that we're not worthy of being loved, mm. that we're not worth anything, that we're just yeah. like dirt. And it's just course- miserable, right? Yeah, which kind of reminds me when I said that um, one Lent, I remember from the homily our priest gave, he goes, you know, uh, it says ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Mm -hmm. From dust you came to dust you shall return. And he says, and that's okay because God loves the dust. (laughs) He used it to make us. And I was like, oh, God loves everything he's made. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, so there's a fundamentally different viewpoint. And I think that view that the doctor expresses is something I've heard on a couple of other podcasts that I listened to for a really long time where both hosts were atheists and every and they would talk about stuff and then they'd go, but you know, life is worth nothing. And they, and I was just like, Oh, I felt so sorry for him. Mm, yeah. like, well, I have my wife and my kids and this stuff, but I know that life is nothing in this and this. I, I try not to let it get me down. And I'm like, yes, because it's an essentially it, it's, there's nothing to it, man. But I try I try not to let it get me down is Yeah. That's an amazing little microcosm of a statement, you know, because you know, there's this idea, you know, floating around that we're well, we're really just fundamentally food tubes that, you Ugh. know, consume and excrete and that's really, you know, we're just animals. There's nothing different from us and a worm, you know. And um when there obviously is something that's different, you know. Um, it, it's yeah, just, we you know, think it, and we love there's and we so very much, you know, yeah. yeah, you know, again, in the beginning was the word, right. Mm-hmm. And that word is logos and stuff. And you, and you think about, well, there was something different, something, something existed, some type of order existed. And, um, you know, and then here we are made in that image. So, I mean, there's something clearly different from us and animals. We, we have some animal in us, right? But there's mm-hmm. clearly not, that's not the whole story. That's not the whole story. It's clearly hand-in-hand hand with that idea from novels or movies where if it has a happy ending, people say it isn't realistic. Mm. If it has a gritty, sad ending or depressing ending, that's realism for you. And I'm like, my life is pretty happy. Yeah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. been married all this time, still love my husband, wonderful kids, good family life, all the things, friends. Yeah, yeah. Things and happen. I think I think that at some point, you know, 
we need to step forward into that happiness. You know, uh, the things happen in our lives and things, Mm -hmm. but there's always happiness. There's always things to hold on to. Right. There's always things that are desirable. And you can, it's a, I don't know if that's human nature where it's like you can be praised 27 times and then somebody you care about gives you criticism and that's all you can think about is that, you know, it's just this, this, uh, giant star of negativity, um, amongst all of these praising, you know, um, or all this love, even, you know, the one that dislikes is the one that you remember. Um, but it that I think that it's 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 a mindset. It's a thing that you step into. You need to accept that happiness. Yeah, because that's valuable too, and you deserve it. Mm-hmm. You yeah. can deserve happiness. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think there's also that idea, and for the bigger idea of um, um, the the nihilism of we're we're just ants, we're not worth anything, and all that stuff. I think that's a reaction to people who would think they're very special and then use their power very badly. Hmm. Dictators, um, you know, the Baron Robbers idea, this kind of thing where, yeah, we're all special. So we have the right to go out and do whatever we want to this and that. And that's a misuse (laughs) of Mm -hmm. the idea that we're special. What people aren't looking at is the idea that we're special being And we also have a mandate set as one of the first things in Genesis to be stewards of the land and Mm. stewards of creation, which means you foster it and you love it and you care for it. That's the mandate we're given. And when we live up to that mandate, that makes everything that we touch special. Right. Mm. Because it's all part of us too. And, And it's okay to be special. You know, every time somebody falls in love, even the people who are nihilists, they want that love for them as a unique individual, and that's okay. And that's part of what makes us separate. I mean, love is the ultimate. God is love, and when we're loving like that in whatever way, we're mirroring as part of his image and his creation. Yeah, I do like what you're saying there because I feel like something's going on in the world right now where, or something in the, in the main conversation that seems to think that it's not okay to say that something is special or a person is special mm-hmm. or even a self is special, you know, to, to hold yourself up in that regard is seen as an arrogance maybe, or a narcissism or, right. or something, you know? Um, and that just seems to be, I don't know if you're seeing that too, but it seems to be out there in an increasing way. Right. Um, and another thing that I think is out there in an increasing way is the idea um, that a lot of atheists find abhorrent that God can make good out of evil. Like something horrible happens, but something good can come out of that. Mm-hmm. The idea that that's possible, I think it's seen um, by atheists as us believing that God would um, create a uh, situation like destruction of a whole planet or whatever in order to pull something good out of it, right? Right. And I I don't think that I'm on board with that. Um, I I think that it's like, you know, human beings create these situations and um, the fact that something good can come out of it is kind of miraculous, you know, in a way out of some of this stuff. Um, Let's say like a car accident, for example, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm getting, I'm getting 
kind of dark here, but it's like, <laughs> well, you know, but, you know. but the idea that something could come out of that, which is healing, it, it's something that I've witnessed and, um, have seen. Right. So, yeah. uh, I believe that that's true, right? <laughs> so right. it's not that I'm saying, hooray, something bad has happened. Therefore, something good can maybe happen. I am not on board with that thought either. And I think that that's what some atheists that uh, make these arguments think that I think as a Christian. Right. And, and I do not. Right. Well, and there's also that balance of justice and mercy, right? So to take a different situation than the car accident would be to say... Um, I've been reading uh, along with the Bible in a year. Well, I'm way behind, <laughs> way, way behind. But uh, the part that I'm at right now is the end of Second uh, Kings and the end of Second Chronicles, which oh, kind of mm-hmm. parallel each other. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a really nice balance. And um, what you're seeing here is finally there's a, there's a really good king. He's even better than David. He goes way back to Moses. I think it's Josiah, but you know, a lot of names have gone by. Um, there have been a, a sprinkling of good kings, and of course, then the very next ones are awful kings. And but, but at one point, he's saying, "You know, what should I do? Here's this letter from the king of Babylon, or whatever." And he lays it down on the altar and asks God, "What do I do?" Mm. And God says, "I'm going to protect you. Yeah. I'm going to make it so it doesn't happen." The next king comes along, who's evil. And um, God's like, well, I've been trying to show you guys what to do. You're not listening. And he essentially, the the writer imagines him, God, kind of talking to the king of, uh, you know, the Babylonian king and just saying, you know, I've made it so that you haven't had a lot of opposition. You have been the strongest. You have been this. And whatever you do, you've earned for yourself. And he says to the Israelites, and whatever you do, you've earned for yourself because you don't want me in the equation. Therefore, turn to all these other altars, see what these gods do for you. This is the justice you've asked for. Here you go. <laughs> and mercy is when you, you do like the other good king. And I probably mixed up all the names and the timeline, and I apologize. <laughs> but this is happening over and over again um, to different degrees uh, in this history because it shows you turn away from God and you leave yourself open to everything. And I kind of look at the time we're in now with all the, the factionalism, the fighting, the questions, and I see where a lot of things seem to be going off the rails because they've forgotten the anchor, hmm. which is that Christianity started the idea of being merciful and kind. They've forgotten the justice that goes with it, which is what see, which is where you see truth and say, okay, here's the hard truth, and then mercy is what tempers that. But you still have to learn the lessons. <laughs> Absolutely, you know? yeah. It's stunning how cyclical all this is, because I mm-hmm. feel like we're in the very cycle that you're talking about. Again, this this great conversation, great meaning big, not awesome. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. it is happening, but it's like there's, there's these same discussions going on, and human beings coming to the same incorrect conclusions. Yeah, it's funny because um, it's, and we've talked about this before, is that human beings, the sociological models may change. You know, we don't have the Egyptian pharaohs anymore. We don't have the the kings from Chronicles and the first king, the king books of kings in the Bible. But here we are, thousands of years later, still grappling with the same kinds of issues, right? And the balances and the watching it go off the rails one way or the other. 
when everybody inevitably forgets what is the center of everything really. Mm -hmm. And they think that they've got a better way to look at everything because they're not, but they're not factoring in all the things they should be. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, I have some things to say about the star itself. Please the, do. The, the, should I do that now? Yes. Okay. But um, the, the idea that um, such a thing could even occur, you know, so, I mean, the very last line in the story is, you know, what was the need to give these people to the fire that the symbol they're passing might shine above Bethlehem? So the idea that the star over Bethlehem was uh, a thousand supernova. years away. Yeah, supernova, a thousand year, or a thousand light years away. To me, doesn't make any sense at all, and it never has. No, um, but but it, it's like it, it's something that I've always thought about a lot ever since encountering this story. You know, as a teenager, you know, just like it, it, it's been in my head. You know, and and to me, it's almost a um, it's a science versus religion question. You know, um, but clearly, Arthur C. Clarke must think that we think that this star was in the heavens somewhere, and somehow it made sense that the uh, wise men would follow this star that's a thousand light years away and somehow it would be over, you know, the the fact that it would, you know, it, it, I'm just saying I don't think he's, he might not have read this or something, but it doesn't make any sense. And um, I think it was you who pointed me to Matt Frad. Um, oh, gosh, long, I meant to listen to that. Yeah, I didn't. Just, just a long, long time ago. It, it was yeah. just, this was, um, I, I found it early, early this morning, just to make sure I knew. I think it's episode 34 in his Pints with Aquinas. Yes. So it was a long time ago, and it's just, yes. um, he's just talking about the star. But um, uh, Thomas Aquinas actually has a thing, and it's in the, the third part, you know, I, I don't know the, the Summa Theologica super well. So all this came from Matt Fratt as far as, you know, where to find it. But it's, it's in the third part. It's question 36, article 7. And the question that Aquinas is considering is whether the star which appeared to the Magi belonged to the heavenly system. Question mark. <laughs> yes. And uh, the answer is no. No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> but I like that Thomas Aquinas is thinking about this. Yeah, me too. I love it. I love it. And, um, you know, Augustine thought about it too. He, he even talks about Augustine saying that it was in the heavens. But he's like, no, it doesn't make any sense that it was. You know, it says, it seems more probable that it was a newly created star, not in the heavens, but in the air near the earth, and that its movement varied according to God's will. So, and, and that's the only thing that fits what's said in the Bible, you know, how, how can a star lead someone anywhere if it's a thousand light years away and rotates around the earth every 24 hours? It's going to look like it, it makes a circle around the sky every 24 hours. So, um, yeah, and you're just not going to see it during the daytime. For one thing, it's on the opposite side of the earth and you're not going to see it. And the other thing to say that it's right above your house doesn't make any sense at all. It's like the North Star is straight up from the North Pole, but you know, the North the, the area in which it appears like it's over is going to be hundreds of miles of uh, you know, square area. So it well, you know, so and, I'm just saying scientifically it just doesn't make any sense at all to me that well, it's I was going to say too um, and I yes and I pointed you to that Matt Fred and I can't believe I didn't listen to it but everybody should it's a really wonderful 
piece, and mm. it made me think of a book that somehow I thought we'd talked about this, but we haven't, called Would You Baptize an Extraterrestrial? Oh, by Brother Guy, yeah. Questions from the Astronomer's Inbox at the Vatican Observatory <laughs> from, uh, yeah, Brother Guy, Consul Magno? Consul Magno, yeah. Consul Magno yeah. and Paul Mueller. Right. And um, Brother Guy was on our podcast. Right. That's what he's about. most famous for is being a guest of ours. Yeah. He's also known for being a Vatican astronomer. Yeah. <laughs> and being on the panel that decided Pluto wasn't a planet. So, you know, he's got a lot of things going on to live down, probably top being on our podcast. But that is an amazing book because they talk about all those possibilities. Yes. And because they're scientists as well as being priests – they are talking about it from a very nuanced, layered level much of the time. and yeah. But they don't ignore the big stuff. Very interesting. So that's yeah. a book I highly recommend, and I, oh, we I should talk too. about it sometime. I we, can't we should. We that it. would be really fun. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. And speaking so of Brother Guy, yeah, speaking of yeah. Brother Guy, when he was on the podcast, he was on episode 100, and we oh. talked, the book that he brought for us to talk about was Among Others by Joe Walton. Yeah. Everything's connected. It's all one oh, thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, she wouldn't have been on my radar. You wouldn't mm -hmm. have gone and gotten an autographed copy of her short story book and sent it to yeah. me. Oh, you bet. You know? Yeah, so that story was she was, um, after we did the podcast on Among Others, she was the guest of honor at the local con that I go to every year. It's called Life, the Universe, and Everything. And it's in um, Provo, Utah in February. And um, she was the guest of honor there. And while I was there, her latest book at that time was Starlings, which is a short story collection. And um, I got myself a copy and, of course, you a copy. Yeah, sure. And then awful. that <laughs> led to you finding this story we're about to talk about, which mm -hmm. I just think is fantastic. Do you have more you want to say about the story? Because this story is pretty short and straightforward, and it's just kind of a punch in the gut to a Christian. <laughs> I think it's fantastic. No, let's oh, get into Oh, it's a wonderful story. Yeah, it's absolutely wonderful. Let's get into this, I think, because I think there's plenty to talk about, okay. even though it's short. Yeah. We could almost it. read it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought about it, but I feel like copyright problems right. really come up. <laughs> Joyful and triumphant, St. Zenobius and the aliens. So Joe Walton wrote this in 2011, and I can't remember if we mentioned that the star was from 1955. Oh, we didn't. Yeah, so, but it is, you know, so there's a, a long, big distance Gosh, I between I really almost two. want to read it right here, but I'm not going to. <laughs> well, definitely read the first couple of sentences. Okay. Yeah. It's a bit of a cliche, but the first thing I thought when I came to heaven was that I didn't expect aliens. It's a cliche because it's the first thing we all think. Aliens are a surprise, and what a delightful surprise. Welcome, everyone, whatever your planet of origin. Joy to you. Heaven welcomes you. My name is Zenobius, and I am from Earth. And um, I love so it. then uh, <laughs> Zenobius basically says, you know, I'm the patron saint of Florence. And so, uh, well, here, let me. I'm just going to skip a few sentences ahead. I'm the patron of Florence, and those of you who are human are probably Florentines who don't have a specific devotion to any other saint because there are very few humans who are particularly attached to me. If you're a Delphine on the other flipper, you're probably in my welcome group because you did a prayer for my intervention. You're wondering why I'm an alien when I'm always pictured as a Delphine in your art? The simple fact is that we don't think of ourselves as aliens here. We're all just saints. 
So I helped on Delphine despite being human, as St. Christopher helped out on Earth despite being Relief. <laughs> we do what we need to. St. Christopher became very popular on Earth, and I became popular on Delphine. It just happens that way sometimes. <laughs> I think it's so, awesome. That's so, so good. Yeah, so it's mm-hmm. such a fun concept of you just got here to heaven. You guys like me. I'm mm-hmm. here. You're part of my welcome group. <laughs> <laughs> I like thinking, I guess they don't need name tags in heaven. <laughs> oh, man. It's so good. It's, and, yeah. and I love that she said a, a line that you almost got to um, right after, oh, uh, you know, my name is Zenobius and I'm here from Earth. It says, Earth is a perfectly ordinary planet. We had a perfectly standard incarnation. You know, mm-hmm. I love that idea. You know, so we're, we're you know, Jesus came here for us, Right. And right. uh, the idea is that, uh, well, on Delphine, there was uh, some type of an incarnation, and some of them are not standard. <laughs> I <laughs> Whatever know. Whatever that means. <laughs> so, so, I love this it. This is taking the idea that other people have uh, already looked at, and we could have also talked about this kind of idea when we were talking about um, C.S. Lewis's book, Paralandra, mm. where mm-hmm. there's a look at Venus. And the fall is being tempted to the first uh, humans or beings there. And his hero, Ransom, has to be the hero and stop it from happening. Right. And so he's positing this fight is going on all the time. Other people have posited, no, we're the only creatures in the universe. And we don't, it was done just for us because, and this is part of that specialness that people don't like. The whole universe is here because that's what was needed to get it to this point to have us happen. And that's Mm. part of um, the way that book, oh gosh, what was the name of it? The Genesis book that we talked about. There it is. Seven Glorious Days by Carl W. Giberson. Yes. 224. Yes. Which he doesn't worry about, are there any other creatures? He just looks at everything that happened happened as fast as it possibly could in order for earth to produce us Mm. and it's all very scientific and everything so you've got all kinds of theories because of course none of us will know that's part of the fun of imagination which is also what we were given by god and the way joe walton uses it is to say okay there are saints there is heaven there are aliens here's what it means when all of us are doing what we're supposed to in heaven, Mm. which is glorifying God by working with all the beings, whatever (laughs) they are, to um, help them get to heaven. Yeah. And and I love that she understands, you know, um, because she she talks about, you know, people, saints being prayed to for intercession, you know, which means, you know, we're asking them to pray for us. And um, then it says that, you know, sometimes you have saints that aren't known very well or and they have very few people that would pray for their intercession. And then um, Zenobius, St. Zenobius says that our name for them is Lucky, right? And mm-hmm. you're thinking, okay, well, you know, the reason that they're lucky is because now they don't have all the stuff to do because they're being asked to intercede all the time. But that's not it, right? Yeah. <laughs> it, it goes on in here and it says, well, the reason that they're lucky is because they get to spend all their time devoting themselves entirely and completely to the great work of heaven without any distractions. 
wow, you know, awesome, you know. So yeah. that, that's fantastic. She she totally gets what is happening here. Um, there's a deep understanding as to what saints in the Catholic Church are, and um, you know what we're doing when we pray to one. And to the idea, I'm just thinking this because the next sentence is, you may have called, heard it called worship, but we usually call it the great work. And then she goes on and compares it to like being in a symphony or doing art or all yeah. these things that require other people to appreciate and cooperate, And but it's working toward one goal. And I thought, you know, that's part of the other thing that you get this sense of when people are... Uh, saying being special is bad. They don't like God being over us. It's it's kind of that, it's not really Job's question necessarily, but it's kind of a Job book look at something in terms of, yeah, who said you could do tell me to do something? Yeah. You know, who says I have to worship you? Mm-hmm. Why do you get to be worshiped? And they're really put it, putting themselves on an equal footing with God by doing that questioning. And if it's honest questioning, as Job is doing, that's allowed. If it isn't, then you've got a problem. And that go, kind of goes along with that whole nihilism and that other idea. Because, you know, when you're worshiping and giving your whole self to some cooperative, you know, like being in a symphony, being uh, part of a great work of art, being whatever it is, you mm. know, like when Rose and I cooked Thanksgiving dinner and then yesterday was Thanksgiving and I said, oh my gosh, I think we did it. Everything was good. The timing worked for everything. And she was like, we high-fived and said, we're the Invincible Thanksgiving team. And it was a very small group of people, two Mm. of us doing it. But we had that sense of great accomplishment. Everybody was having a good time. And it was doing what we wanted. I love it. Yeah. And that's that creative work that can happen any point in your life. And to be able to do that forever... And to have that feeling and work toward that goal and have that involvement and working things out, that's fun. Oh, man. If it's going yeah. right. Absolutely. Well, when when think of worship being that, mm-hmm. you know? Well, I love that thought. it's glorious the whole time. I love it. I love it. Yeah. yeah. And so she manages to me to convey this essence of it. Yeah. I mean, this story is one, two, th- basically <laughs> three pages long. Yeah. When Absolutely. you look at the half pages in here, yeah, um, and and um, we we have to talk about the bottom of page one sixteen. Oh yeah, okay, go for it. Yeah, it goes right back to it says. Mm-hmm. Wait, so I'm sorry, Joe Walton, if you're hearing this, we're reading your story, but in pieces out of order. <laughs> 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 it's so short, oh, but it's, it's so beautiful. Horrible. Yeah. So the whole idea of that we were talking about with the problem of pain is when she talks about, you know, people will be interceding and we senior saints will help you figure out what to do and how to help people best. And um, she says, which brings me back to the problem of pain. Of course, God could have made the universe without pain, but a universe without pain is a universe without change, without movement, without stories. God could have contemplated nothing but their own glory for all eternity, and they means the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They chose to have a universe with stories, and there are no stories in Utopia. First of all, I love that. Oh my gosh! The whole point. (laughs) But it's so it's so real. I mean, again, in the beginning was the Word, right? (laughs) Oh my god! And all the stories in Genesis. Oh, and and we're wired for that. Jesus teaching using parables because we get stories, and that book, the storytelling animal that I read, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, it's all happening. So, um, 
yeah. says, there are those who feel this was a mistake and they too are a part of the harmony of heaven, even when they think themselves most in opposition to us. When you're asked to intercede, when somebody prays to you, and this is talking to the, the new saints in heaven, they are often asking to be relieved of pain. What you have to ask yourself is whether the pain is necessary for the story. At first, you might not be able to tell. Don't be afraid to ask for help. And it's all part of the great work, um, yeah. Zenobia says in the end. And I was like, yeah, that's the thing where you look back and you say, if I hadn't gone through this absolutely horrible period, I personally would not have grown. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And um, I, I think that that's just a universal truth, right? I was looking at a quote just the other day from Pope Benedict. It was back when he was uh, Cardinal Ratzinger. And it says, Fulfillment does not lie in comfort, ease, and following one's inclinations, but precisely in allowing demands to be made upon you and taking the harder path. So he's just talking about daily life and choices, right? So you can sit back and not do anything or try to avoid things, but the things that give your life meaning, if you look back at your your own life, when I look back at my own life, I guess you should say it that way, the things that were perturbing or moving me off of a center or pushing me into crowds, let's say, um, the things that were uncomfortable yeah. were the things that moved me and the things right. that I remember and the things I look back on and say, my gosh, that was worthwhile. Right. You know, um, so, I mean, but he's, she's just saying this for all of humanity. God could have contemplated nothing but their own glory for all eternity. Right. But instead, what was chosen is a universe with stories. And there are no stories in utopia. And that is so very true. It's just beautiful. And- you think about it, any good story, there's some problem to be overcome. And yeah. usually the hero or heroine or whoever mm-hmm. has got to sacrifice. Right. And then this idea that, um, you know, is the pain necessary? You know, um, that's a thing for contemplation, too. You know, people, uh, saints are always asking, you know, being asked to relieve my pain, you know, relieve mm-hmm. my pain. And, um, you know, clearly... God's answer is sometimes not quite yet. Yeah. Right? Right. Well, and, you know, this is something that people have written books on. And, of course, famously, C.S. Lewis wrote about the problem of pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody's heard of that book. And then there's another one by Peter Kreeft, K-R-E-E-F-T, called Making Sense Out of Suffering. Wow. Nice. I haven't read yeah, that and- one, but I, I, I should because I, I think he's great. Oh, he is. Yeah. And this that's one of his most famous books because, of course, it's the problem everybody has is we all mm-hmm. like it when life's going along and happy and whatever. Of course, what happens then? You forget about what the center of life is. You forget you, – you, you almost kind of slide backwards, and it's nice to have those happy, fallow times. But you know there's going to be things, even small things, mm-hmm. that bug you. And yeah. it makes me think Rose read something where the person was saying human beings or the brain or whatever kind of designed so that they require a certain amount of stress and which would make sense based on what we're talking about. But um, that 
So this is why even when you're very rich and have what seems like every luxury, you can go berserk over the napkins aren't right for the party. <laughs> right. Because you have to find some problem to solve <laughs> and something to deal with. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and then, of course, in the other direction, it makes me think if suffering is necessary and it seems unfair, Christ on the cross, on the crucifix, shows us it is so necessary. He himself did it both to free us and as an example. Yeah, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, is it necessary for the story? Yeah. And of course, story makes it sound frivolous, but we all know our own lives are stories. Yeah. And every time we connect with somebody, it's part of a strand of a bigger story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and there's, there's a lot of... Uh... I know psychological study that's being done. I'm not sure if psychological is the right word for it, but you know, just like what you were saying in Rose, but there was a, a very popular um, therapist. I think she's a therapist called Kelly McGonigal and okay. she's done some Ted talks and stuff, but she says, you know, chasing meaning is much better for you than working to avoid discomfort. So again, it's like chasing the story is much better for you than working to avoid the story. (laughs) And I think that that's like uh, studies have been done, you know, that have been showing, you know, this is a happier person or a person that feels like there's been meaning, you know. Well, and another thing um, this connects with that is I believe I've mentioned before, Brene Brown, mm-hmm. yeah. talking about how necessary <clears throat> it is to be vulnerable. And what her, brought her to everyone's attention was the TED Talk she did, where she was telling the story of doing the study mm-hmm. on what helped people get through things. And all the people who were normal, successful, um, and not meaning monetarily, but you know, good human beings with a good life and all this, they talked about how important it was to be vulnerable. You have to risk the suffering. You have to put yourself out there and be the first one, and maybe somebody's going to reject you or whatever it is. But if you don't do that, you're not living an authentic life. And um, after she did this study, as she tells in her talk, which is wonderful and everyone should watch it, um, she, she had to go to a therapist and go, I, I'm not like these people. I just now realized what my life is like. I'm trying to control everything mm-hmm. so that I never suffer. I'm never vulnerable. I'm I'm. I'm safe. Yeah. Right. And those things all work together. And of course, so let me just say, so when I talk about, so this story, um, at the very end, Zenobius is saying, you know, come and bring tidings of comfort and joy. Come on now, all of you. It'll be such fun. And I'm like, I love that whole, this is so much fun. Mm. And so if that's, if what we're saying is what she's telling is truth in this story, we recognize it as being so fundamentally Christian. Apply that to the civilization. Let's say it's in Storyland, it's true that mm-hmm. Arthur C. Clarke shows us. If that's really true, if they really knew it, I feel like if God was asking that sacrifice, that message would have been given to them somehow, whether or not everybody listened. And the people who understood it would have said, it's worth it Hmm. to help these people know you the way we do, that we're worthy of being the people who sacrifice for this. Yes, 
it's our time. Our time is done now. Hmm. Let's let's do this. Beautiful. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. To think about that in the light of this other story. That's really, that's really something. Thank you for bringing these two together. Oh, this is well, beautiful good. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Joe Walton is just such a, a very heartfelt. I mean, it just feels deep for mm-hmm. four pages worth of deep. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. and Arthur C. Clarke's story is, a little bit cold, right? It's like mm-hmm. metal. You, you think about metal. We're sitting there in a, that's what I'm thinking of when I think about that story. I'm just thinking of him in a, a metal room with a cross on it and a Mark IV computer thinking about supernova, which is all beautiful in itself. Um, but then there's just this coldness of what he's, his thoughts are being challenged by the fact that this happened. Um, yeah. But the when I think of Joe Walton's story, I think it's warm. It's like kind of hot in a way. <laughs> you know, these are just things that I'm thinking of when I think about it. there's just this deep heat. Yeah, um, it's warm and loving beautiful. and embracing and yeah. fun and yeah. it's life giving and yes, life right. life life affirming, right? Affirming. Thank you. That's the mm-hmm. word I was looking for. Yeah. You can't wait to do it. And I'm thinking about the real saints. I mean so, well, St. Zenobius is a real saint, and we have a link to um, also where you can read about St. Zenobius, who, interesting side note, Joe Walton discovered as a real saint and then got really interested. And then I got interested through reading of the connection because of this story, and and that's the link we'll give is to kind of the person she found who was talking about St. Zenobius. But, Fantastic. Because um, St. Zenobius's saint day is my birthday. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I know. So every year on my birthday, I put that post back up again where I'm like, here's what I found out. And here's the link to Joe Walton's story. But here's mm-hmm. the link to where I read about St. Zenobius, who uh, I'm not devoted to in the way some are. But I have a very fond spot in my heart for St. Zenobius. <laughs> Thanks to Joe Walton helping push that past Florence a little bit. <laughs> I love it. Um, I but love I think it. of the saints and, and how many of them suffered and died and were martyrs and, and went through some really tough stuff. You don't do that for something that's a good, fuzzy feeling. Right. You do it for something that's true yep. and rock bottom. The reward is you know the joy is waiting. You've got some of that joy already. And if you th- and and I've always felt God <laughs> has to be so closely with those people in those moments or they couldn't have gone through that stuff. Right. Yep. You know, that's the pain that brings them to be saints. That's the suffering and sacrifice that that this is true, it's worth fighting for. So, um, which is the flip side, and that's all people see here. Like, oh, they made that person a saint. Look what they went through. What fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, because they're not thinking, here's the other part. That's the Saint Zenobia story. Wow, that's really great. Yeah, I just love it. Yeah, maybe this is my new favorite science fiction story. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's fun. That's fun. It's so fun to think about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I I swear, I read this and I instantly thought of the star. Oh, that's cool. So, yeah, yeah, I'd be curious to know if it was. She surely had that in mind because she's so well-versed in all these stories. She wrote a book. um, Well, actually, it's a collection of articles she did on Tor.com where she read through or looked at and read through the winners for the Hugos mm. year by year ever since they started to whenever it was fairly recently that the yeah. book came out. 
Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, she's got a couple of books. Um, I, I think you're talking about an informal history of the Hugos. Oh, and yes. then she's also got one called Why Is This Book So Great? Which are both That's a good one. Both collections of tour posts, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good one, except that they included so many posts on a particular series of novels that I didn't care about. I was like, please stop doing this to me. Don't we have so more many. variety? Other than that, um, <laughs> she is such an engaging, warm writer when she's writing nonfiction like that. Yeah, that yeah. Both of those are, are worth picking up if you like. Um, science fiction, or even the what makes this book so great? She's talking about Georgette Heyer in there, and maybe mm-hmm. Peachy Woodhouse. She's she's all over the place. So she is. In fact, um, so when you go to these conventions, the guest of honor um, gives a, a one hour talk, the guest of honor speech. Okay. And her speech was on, if I remember right, uh, and I bet you that it's on YouTube. Even I'm going to guess. Uh, maybe I'll see if I can find it. And if I do find it, I'll put it in the notes. But um, it was about books that, um, in science fiction, that don't have the standard adventure plot. Oh. Right. So she was just talking, you know, book after book that uh, she felt had, um, again, not not an adventure plot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Interesting. standard adventure plot, right? So she's, yeah. Oh, yeah. I wish that was in a book somewhere. <laughs> you bet. So, but I do think, because uh, LTUE does have a channel on mm-hmm. YouTube, so um, often they'll put panels on there, and I'll check to see if that exists, um, that speech exists. Oh, yeah, because a link to that would be great. You bet. I'll do it. You got a lot of Lincoln to do on this one, buddy. Lots of Lincoln to happen. <laughs> but I'm in for the Lincoln. Yeah, but she's an interesting um, writer, because I think because she's so well-read. Mm. Yeah. And curious about all kinds of things and just right. thinks about them in those ways. What doesn't have an adventure plot? What, sure. You know, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, and among others, we ha- I mentioned so many titles in it, inside the story, um, mm-hmm. among others. <clears throat> have you read any of her other ones, like, uh, what are they called, the Farthing novels? Like Halfpenny or... I tried those, but okay. they just didn't really grab me. Okay. Um, I, of course, loved Lent. We talked about yeah, that Lent on the podcast. One of the... Uh, things that I admire about her and what I've read so far is how different her books are. It's like, she's not content to sit there and write the same thing over and over. Right. Uh, What's the next thing? And she in a completely new direction, you know? So, so the fact that you may not connect with one of her books, but you do in a big way in a different one is I imagine pretty typical experience of, of her writing. Because mm-hmm. she is just all over the place in what she's writing. Oh, yeah. And, again, I think that's part of just having a lively mind and a very curious uh, imagination. Yeah. Which I yeah. think are great things. Me too. So. Love it. Okay. Well, <clears throat> love it, love is there it. anything else? That, no, um, that's just beautiful. Yeah. And now I think I might uh, need to pick up, you know, maybe in the next few days I'll pick up Nightfall. See what I think of that one now. <clears throat> but Nightfall, <laughs> I always felt that one is a little Nightfall by Isaac Asimov, by the way. Yeah. Um, I always felt that that one was a, kind of a hostile anti religion story. And I'll see if I can, if I feel that same way. Well, yeah, it it is. But it's also kind of. Uh, I don't know. I feel like it's also looking at education of the day and 
you know, what we all know and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. But again, we would have to read it and then be happy to talk about it. I always liked Isaac Asimov's writing a lot Me better too. than Arthur yeah. C. Clarke. Did you? That's mm-hmm. just a style that, yeah. you know, I liked his authorial voice better. Yeah. But, um, yeah. But those Clark, two stories Clark was always cool. dealing with like really big sort of uh, monumentous events mm-hmm. or momentous events, I guess is the way, you know, like 2001, you know, yes. these are like, <clears throat> you know, society changing event level yeah. stuff. Rendezvous with Rama, yeah. all those. <laughs> Childhood's well, end. I will say my favorite Arthur C. Clarke book, and I have one, is, of course, this is the one, Tales from the White Heart. Oh, yes. Which is a collection of stories, short stories, which are tall tales told in mm. taverns. My favorite genre <laughs> that nobody knows but me. I love it. And, I love um, it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, those are fun because he's always about the science, mm. of course. And these are using science, but in such a whimsical, fun, wacky way <laughs> that um, they're, they're a good set of stories if you have trouble reading his others they're uh, i don't know just a different look at the fact that he was funny and had a sense of humor and liked to make fun of different things very good so love it yep well that's great yeah so again thanks very much for these stories just love well, I'm them love them love glad and yep. merry christmas everybody and just keep all this in mind bet so next up for us is something extra christmasy that's right. The last episode of the year yep. um, is Miracle on 34th Street. And I would assume that you mean the original. Oh, my gosh, yes. Okay, I'm just making sure. I forget sure. there's another one. <laughs> Let's all forget that. As, as, as should we all probably. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So great. Yeah. So looking forward to, to that. That'll be fun. Have you seen it before? Yeah, sure have. Okay. That. Yep. I've run into a few people who've never seen it. That's why I was asking. Mm-hmm. Oh, I so. love it. Cool. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. Yep. We'll talk to you in a and couple weeks. And be careful out there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.